Well, as we discussed last time, we're looking at discernment, specifically Christians and their purpose. Uh, we want to pick this back up in the middle of the outline, but I do want to remind you of the text that we use, John 12, verse 26, where Jesus says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. We pointed out last time that this is the purpose of the Christian, to follow him. This is the reason that words like disciple were used, because a disciple is a follower. This was literally their purpose. This was what they were named after. This is what they were called to do. It's part of the commission itself at the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark. Uh, as it's mentioned again in Acts, our purpose is to follow. And we laid out here the Christians and their purpose and his teachings. And the first thing we discussed was that we were to leave our own kindred. The second was that we were to hate our own lives. And thirdly was to bear our own cross. The, the next thing for us to consider here is that we are to forsake our own possessions. Oh, many times we've been caught up in the things we want, the things we have, the things we seek to preserve, and we've lost sight of our very purpose to follow him. Some text to consider, Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's the words of Christ. Have you forsaken all that you have? Uh, I've gotten some some calls this week over our our point, the very first point of this outline, talking about the, the definition of hate. Not necessarily disagreeable calls, but uh, whether or not it means to love less or to detest, as Jude uses it. I think it becomes more clear as we continue to compare Scripture to Scripture. He of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Where's your treasure is another thing that we would, uh, we would relate to in other places of Scripture. Where's your treasure? There your heart will be. I, I jode that a little bit. That's not word for word, but you understand the context there. Matthew 4, 19, He saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Cause and effect. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This isn't a promise to him way back in the back who refuses to follow, him who hasn't entered the door who refuses to follow. This is the promise and a declaration of Christ Jesus himself. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Don't wait until you're fishers of men to follow me. Don't wait until the day you deem yourself fit and ready. Follow me. And Christ Jesus says, I will do the work. I will make you fishers of men. That's my responsibility. That's the work of the Father for me to do unto you. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is sent to continue that pursuit, to come alongside, as we saw of the definition of paraclete earlier this morning. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus says to this one to sell all that he has. You say, will he ever say that to me? I mean, that's, that's doubtful. He knows, we, we prop it up. How, he knows how hard I've worked to get where I am, to get what I have, to get this status, to get this position. 
He paved the way. He made it all possible. He called you unto that, if he indeed called you unto that, if he had that for you. If that will be perfect, this is our point. Forsake your own possessions. Prioritize Christ Jesus above all else. All of these texts, Luke 14.33, Matthew 4.19, Matthew 19.21, all of these support what we reference what we're referencing with the cross, the idea of bearing our own cross as we saw in our text, <clears throat> there is a purpose for us that is not that we would cling to dead things. And that's what we do when we put these other things ahead of Jesus, these idols like we talked about on Wednesday that Rachel stole from her father. It's, a, it's an inanimate thing. It's a dead thing. We're clinging to something dead and forsaking something living. Something not only living, that would, but that would make within us an everlasting well of life. Matthew 8, 22, Jesus said unto him, follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Follow me if ye thirst. Follow me if ye are heavy laden. Have I not touched on your qualifier yet, beloved? None of these things are descriptions of you. Boy, they describe me to a T. I'm ever thirsty. I can't quench my own thirst. Well, as brilliant as man is in 2023, I can't quench my own thirst. If I have a lifesaver's peppermint, when it's gone, I'm thirsty. If I eat a Jolly Rancher, when it's gone, I'm thirsty. You saw me leave in between and refill my cup. Why? I ever thirst. I'm ever laden, heavily laden, ever tired, desirous of rest. And Jesus says, follow me. That is my work. Follow me. Believe that I am who I say that I am. Those two precious words, follow me. Inside, follow me is repent and believe. Inside, follow me is calling election, preservation, sanctification, inside those two words are a great many doctrines. But it's so very simple. If you're here and undone, if you're here and miserable, if you've lost all hope, follow me, Jesus says. What happens with the dead? I want to consider this for a moment. What happens with the dead? When a, when a body dies, within 24 to 72 hours after death, the internal organs decompose. Think of Mary and Martha's brother while I describe this. And remember how long he was in the tomb. And that great miracle that was performed. This isn't just theory. Uh, my brother-in-law was, was a funeral director. And this is scientific fact. I took this right off of their own websites. Within 24 to 72 hours after death, the internal organs decompose. Three to five days after death, the body starts to bloat, and blood-containing foam leaks from the mouth and the nose. Eight to ten days after death, the body turns from green to red as the blood decomposes and the organs in the abdomen accumulate gas. Within a few weeks, the nails and the teeth fall out. After a month, the body, the body starts to liquefy. So those are your loved ones. If they've passed within 
a month or longer. The shell of themselves, that will be you within a month if this is your last day. What are you clinging to? What are you holding to? This is the description of that which was once alive and then died. But those things that were dead never even had this experience. Those things that were dead. I mean, it ought to blow our minds, as gross as that sounds, but it ought to blow our minds that what, we are no longer aware of our bodies during any of the things I just described, and yet our bodies are still performing the functions God had ordained for them to. Who's commanding it? Who's in control of that body? My brain says, lift my arm, my arm goes up, but who's telling my body to turn red? Who's telling my nails and teeth to decay and fall out? Who's commanding all of these things? Go to the other end of the spectrum. What caused Landon to keep growing, to keep eating, to develop eyeballs and ears? Were our brains so high-functioning that we just thought, we're going to need those. When we get out of here, this is all we've ever known, we're going to need those things. Let's get ready. All God. Before that, you thought you were this big in your world. And now you're just a little tiny, little tiny little thing in this life, aren't you? In such a short span of time. If we, around this room, put the beginning of creation, which wasn't millions of years ago, but we put it over there and ran it around the top of the, the room, and even if we just did it by decades, you know, 80, 10, 80, 20, and so on and so forth, and then we said, and here's where Milburn began, and here's where Milburn ended. And it wouldn't even be that long. It'd be this. And the same for the oldest of us. We would not span past one single panel in this room as far as the panels of the history of mankind. What is your impact? You're not called to have an impact. You're called with two words. Follow me. Don't worry about your impact, your carbon footprint. This is the obsession of man, the obsession of the world. How will we be remembered? You're not likely to be. How will we be remembered? Why would you want to be? Consider how the, the, the Bible remembers Lot, Laban, that wonderful first poet. You shouldn't desire to be remembered. You should desire everlasting life. This awaits every one of us. This description. Young or old today. This is where we're headed. And it could happen today. Those sirens could have been the siren beckon call. That bell that tolls that we talked about a year or so ago. For someone in our community. We said last time the next tragic news story could be about you this world is full of tragedy because mankind is a tragedy totally depraved and ever create uh, creating new ways of violence and wickedness is this what we're trying to hold on to by clinging the old man that old dead life even in death we can't cling to it even when we're inanimate and stiff and lifeless, we can't cling to it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, says, For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. 
seeing that which now is in the days of to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? As the fool. Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went out about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored, therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of, and of the vexation of his heart wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in this night. This is also vanity. This is, there is nothing better for a man than, the, than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. For, he, for, for who can eat or who can also, or who else, for who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Half a dozen times this is vanity. And yet we're all slaving away, storing up as much as we can possibly store up. Let me break this down to simple terms. Remember what I just said happens after death. Within just a month, within just a month, our bodies can no longer hang on to our fingernails. I'm doing a pretty good job of it right now, but I won't be able to keep them. My teeth. The blood. I mean, this is how close you are to death this very hour. The youngest in the room. Listen to this. Your blood bursting from your body. That's how delicate life is. This very hour, the smallest of clots could kill any of us. But in this last month after death, the blood will do what it had been trying to do all along. Burst forth and be free. You are nothing. In comparison to all this, you are not able to deliver yourself because by this description, you're not able to contain yourself. And it is you yourself that has inherited hell. It is you, your depravity, that has earned that death sentence. And you can't contain yourself. This is just a physical description. You would think being dead, finally everything's at rest. And yet the body is still in motion, still dying and we haven't even discussed the soul of this one this one dying this one dead after 30 days as the body continues to expel and deteriorate and not be able to contain itself the soul is either in heaven rejoicing giving no thought to that body left behind rejoicing for the new one that he or she's been given 
and those who remain lost, they would gladly take that suffering over where they're at. Gladly take that suffering. A lot of what's described there is true of the leper. A living leper. A lot of what we just described, they are experiencing living. And we know from our talk about lepers in the past that that's a picture of sin. And what it does to the body is what it has done to the soul. But that one in hell would gladly take that leprosy, gladly take that death, that first one, over what they will experience before being cast into the lake of fire. It's a very serious matter. This is not a light thing. You are not able to hold yourself up. You are not able to deliver yourself. I don't care if you're the strongest man or woman on the planet. These, are, these aren't physical wages. This is spiritual warfare. Things that are unseen. Angels among us as we preach the word of God now and devils among us as we try to go about our daily lives. You're not strong enough. Hear me. You are not strong enough. Maybe more appropriately, you're not arrogant enough. You can't be proudful enough or, or puffed up enough to survive what you have already written a check for. Consider Luke 12, verses 22 through 40. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on, the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And it's likely we were just reading his very confession of that a moment ago. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, Neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Or, to put it more short fashion, follow me. He goes on, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, praise the Lord. If not for his good pleasure, all of us would do way more than decompose. All of us sentenced to hell. All of us judged unworthy. But it is his good pleasure. It is his mercy that any be saved. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. Which is just describing a bag that doesn't have a hole in it, a bag in good shape that will uh, contain the contents you've put into it, that you've trusted it with. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. That when he unto men, uh, when he cometh and knocketh, 
they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come to the sec in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Beloved, forsake your own possessions. Your own possessions are an anchor unto your soul. If you're born again and your possessions have such high priority, then I assure you no one truly knows you're saved. If you're born again and your prize is your pride or your level of establishment, repent. And you can't repent fast enough because it's going to weigh you down. It may... It may do you through. It may cause such a stumbling block for you that you'll never truly know the goodness of the Lord's mercy. You'll never truly see the work that he has for you, the work that he's done for you, what he's delivered you from until you are vacant, vacant of all distractions, of all idols. All that is required is provided. Our purpose is to follow Christ Jesus and serve him. Are we indeed ready for him to come and inspect his works? To come and inspect his investments? To come and uh, look into that which he has trusted us with? The next point is that we are to continue in Christ's word. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We are to continue in the purpose we have explained thus far with the hope of this truth. Let us consider the truths of the Lord expressed during his ministry that we've seen in our afternoon study. Truth would not be something the born again would fear, for it would be a confirmation of the light that is within them. Consider John 3, verses 18 through 21. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This, beloved, is the condemnation. And I know I've said it a lot in the last two months, but this is the condemnation. And if you're born again, it says in Scripture, there is therefore now no more condemnation. But this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Light came to the doorstep of man and was rejected. That's what Jesus reveals to Nicodemus here. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Truth would be an essential to worship itself. Jesus, in the very next chapter, in John 4, verses 19 through 24, points this out to the Samaritan woman. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. 
We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. For the hour cometh and now is, when the true when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit that and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So why does it matter what denominational institution you sign up with? What church you attend to? I don't like to use what faith you are. That's a very different thing. As we expressed this morning, faith is a doctrine. Uh, it's not a badge or a membership card. So what's the difference? It's very important that we worship God in spirit and in truth. We read that in John 4. If we kept reading in John 3, he says something very similar. You wouldn't understand our words. If I told you in worldly terms, you wouldn't understand it. I tell you now in spiritual terms and you don't understand it. He says you must be born again. You must be given new understanding. And then what? You must follow me. And if following me means you leave all that you ever knew, sayonara. If following me means you're going alone, there's been a great many solos in this world. If following me means you're going to look like a weirdo, you're going to be persecuted by family, by friends. And you and me, let's eat lunch this week because that's already happened. And I'm not the first. And I won't be the last. If following me is following the Lord, then like he did for me, he's going to bring you to the truth. He's going to equip you to start to recognize error and he's going to continue to lead you to where he would have for you to be. We talked before about how a, a, a semi-trailer in motion is easier to turn. It's easier to direct. But one that's parked, I mean, man, you could tug on that wheel. You can try and push on the side of the truck. You're probably not going to get it anywhere. This is why he gives us two words. Follow me. This is an individual in motion. I don't know exactly where Jesus is going, but he, he seems to be calling me from that direction. Then follow him. And if he's over there, when you're following him, you'll keep hearing his voice and he'll keep leading you. Follow him. It is entirely different to say, I'm safer right here. I don't want to join. I don't want to wear their hat. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm part of that. I don't want to be seen going in and out of those doors, those hyper-Calvinists that they are. So I'm going to stay right here. What's the trivia question answer on that little island? Outside? No, beloved. What happens to little islands? If you saw Castaway, it's not that much fun. You're already alone on that island, and you can't deliver yourself. You can't contain your blood. You can't contain your nails or your teeth. But God can deliver you. God can make you fishers of men. God can bear your burden because his burden is light. You thirst? Come unto me, he says. He'll solve that problem. Well, how's he going to solve it? Follow after him. You may never know how he solved it, but he'll solve it. How will he use you? Follow after him. Find out. Well, if I follow after him, that's our favorite response as men, isn't it? Well, if I follow after him, 
This is channeling dad because I can feel it. If I follow after him, it's going to be my way. If I follow after him, I'm going to do it like this. If I follow after him, it's going to be at my pace. At your pace, you might trip and fall. You try your pace. Maybe a great roaring lion will be behind you. I bet your pace changes. And if your pace is going in the wrong direction, I bet there'll be a great flood. Now these are, I'm speaking in type, of course, but that's how God directs. Look at the Bible. Understand the trials that his people went through. Esther said, I won't go under the king. The scepter's not been lifted. Mordecai says, your people perish. Mordecai says that when, when, essentially when, when, the, the, when we are delivered, because God will deliver his people, you will not be discernible amongst the rubble, amongst the Persians. Stand ye this day. Something changed. She began to move. And she said, if I perish, I perish. And God's people were delivered. What changed? She followed. She moved. She repented, believed, called. All the things I said was tied into those two little words. She adhered to God's command. We should find comfort in this truth. We should recognize the voice of our Father because we followed after him in the wilderness, in the darkness, when we could not see but we could only hear and feel and knew that he was there, felt his warmth, saw his light. We knew where we shouldn't go, so we went after him. I pray that the challenge I issued last week to abhor that was his evil and to desire and seek after that which is righteous, I pray that was a blessing. I pray that you took it seriously. If not, do it again. Do it again. Didn't do it last week. Do it now. See how toxic our lives have become. See how dangerous it is to be living in this world. Repent and believe and follow after Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would use this message, use these words, not as my own, but as yours, that you would increase, that I would decrease. And it's not my desire that folks become Baptists. It's not my desire that a multitude be baptized and join this church. That's not the purpose of this writing. My, my heart's desire is that I've been found faithful. I would be greatly overjoyed if lost sinners were made to repent. And they go and join another church, but they're pursuing. They're following after you. If you've truly saved them, I know that I can trust that to you. Father, the lost that are in my family, in my heart, in my work life, my neighbors. Give me the faith, Father, to give them the gospel. Not for my sake, but for theirs. Give us the ability, Father, to die unto ourselves. To be of no reputation. To look at our things as expendable but our souls is a great treasure. Help us, Father, to indeed value everlasting life the way that we should, to understand that the time we have remaining is fleeting. And that's if we just, that's if the, the rapture doesn't come immediately. That's just if we die, if we perish. The rapture could be upon us before I finish this sentence, there is not time for us to wait for a more convenient season. There is not time for us to only allow ourselves 
enough study, enough consideration to be, quote-unquote, almost persuaded. Help us this very hour to form our own decree that we will indeed search these things out. We will indeed decide how it is we will handle these truths, and we understand that death is coming.